1: And whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular.
2: Hello and welcome to the Your Politics podcast from RTE News. Today we are joined by the Fine Gael TD and Minister for Further and Higher Education, Simon Harris. Welcome. Thank you, Sandra. And also RTE's political correspondent, Mihol Lahan. Hello. So, Minister, I'm going to get this over with, you know, just a nice, easy question to start with. So... Two weeks to the switch over. <laughs> endless speculation. What cabinet position do you see yourself in?
1: <laughs> I, I think I think it's, yeah, go straight in there, Sandra. I think yeah. it's, um, it must be the most peculiar reshuffle on one level because, and you could correct me here, but I'm not sure there's ever before been a date in the diary where it's definitively known when there actually is going to be a, a, a reshuffle. So I suppose it's great, um, fun might be the wrong word for, for, for political correspondence, but it gives a great build-up to speculation. But for people like me, it's... a. Uh, it's definitely above my pay grade, so uh we'll find out. And people say to you, and you meet people on the street, and you meet people when you're going around the country, and they say to you, "You must know now would you be in this job in two weeks?" And you genuinely don't, because I mean, the way reshuffles work, or cabinet appointments work, in, in my experience, is you you leave your house the morning of uh, as the minister for whatever you're the minister of today, and 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 later that day you you either are or aren't a minister. Um, so I mean, it is that uh, it is that sudden, and that's how it works. So we'll see what happens over the over the next couple of weeks.
2: This huge political focus on the handover, but what difference is it going to make to sort of real people that there's now going to be a Fine Gael Taoiseach? What's the change in tone or what what ways are going to seem different, do you think?
1: So I think the first thing is we shouldn't forget the significance of actually the changeover, because this has come about from what I think is actually a great maturity that now exists in Irish politics, where two old rivals, uh, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, uh, and, indeed, and indeed the Green Party, after the last election, tried to find a path forward to form a stable government. And as part of that, um, there was this transition uh, arrangement put in place. So I think in and of itself, I think the transition actually speaks to a maturity in our politics, perhaps, perhaps the end of kind of that civil war adversary uh, that existed in politics. I think that whoever the Taoiseach is, I, I think they're... Their personality, their vision, their values, I do think can help drive delivery across government. So, I mean, one thing that won't change on the 17th of December is the programme for government. So the three parties are bound together by the programme for government. That is what we have committed to doing for the Irish people. And the next two, two and a half years is about delivering that. But I think in Leo Varadkar, we do have a person who has led the country in the past at times of great crisis. So he led the country as Taoiseach uh, during a lot of the Brexit issues, particularly at the height of Brexit. Uh, and indeed, he led the country at the start of the COVID pandemic. And I would work very closely with him then. He'll now be becoming Taoiseach again um, at a time where there's a real cost of living crisis. And indeed, the, the Ukrainian war and the impact that that's having but in Europe. So I think, those, make, I think those skill sets that he has to pull people together, and I've seen him do this um, up close and personal, I think will serve the government and the country well.
2: And there's been a lot of friction, I think, in recent weeks between Fianna Fáil and Fianna There's been some grumbling on the Fianna Fáil side about Fianna handling of the justice portfolio and law and order. And Fianna definitely have focused on housing. How do you think that's going to gel in the weeks ahead as, as there is some swapping around with the portfolios? Yeah, I was a bit
1: bemused or taken aback by some of the commentary I read around, around, around housing because I genuinely didn't, didn't see it as that. I mean, housing is the number one issue. That faces people in Ireland. Obviously cost of living is, is a huge pressure right now, but the biggest societal challenge the people of this country face is housing. And it would be kind of a bit weird or a bit odd if a political party, particularly a political party in government, wasn't constantly saying what more can we do on housing, how can we make further improvements. I think we have a very good Minister for Housing, in Darrow O'Brien. We're all full square behind him and the housing for all strategy. Of that there's no doubt. But I think the idea that the Fine Gael parliamentary party would have had a meeting about housing and brainstorming around it and how we can further contribute I- ideas into government, I think that's I think that's healthy and I think that's a good thing to do. Um, uh, so, so yeah, I, I, I sometimes think a lot of these things are, are blown out of proportion perhaps um, or from time to time can perhaps be misinterpreted. I mean, there's a duty on all three parties in the coalition to keep bringing our best thinking and our best ideas forward um, on, on issues, particularly tricky issues. Like we believe housing for all is a good plan um, but we also believe, and I've heard the Taoiseach say this, I've heard the Minister for Housing say this, you know we have to keep on saying are there more things we can do in my own department this week for example we took a big intervention to try and get student accommodation supply going which is another effort to increase housing supply so i very much see it in that context
2: but isn't it a big impediment now for Fine Gael, a big electoral impediment, that you have been in power for so long? Since 2011, something the opposition would level at you all the time in relation to housing is that you've, the party has held that portfolio for a large portion of those 11 years and you haven't fixed the problem. Isn't that a, an issue, that just being there for so long?
1: So definitely, it's 100% correct to say our opponents try to use our longevity in government as a disadvantage and as a criticism. You will very much have seen it at our Ardesh a couple of weeks ago in Athlone, um, where we're, we're actually presenting it uh, as a positive. Actually, the fact that you have experienced politicians who have helped lead the country through a number of major crises is exactly the sort of leadership we need now. On housing specifically, though, again... People, people talk about housing as if the housing challenge today is the same as 11 years ago that's simply not true I remember when I first got elected to the toll in 2011 um, when Fine Gael came to office you know the big housing issue in my constituency offices those days was mortgage arrears um, was people trying to keep a roof over their head as banks were trying to foreclose on them um, was nobody to build houses uh, because the construction sector has completely collapsed ghost estates uh, probably RT specials on highlighting housing estates that were built and weren't occupied So the the challenge in housing changes and moves, right? The big challenge right now is supply, 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 supply. How quickly we can actually build houses. There are some encouraging signs. Um, I mean, if you look at the fact that more people have bought their first home this year, than in any year in the last 15 years. So 16,000 people have bought their first home this year so far. That's more than in the last 15 years. We have seen a lot of the metrics up in terms of supply, but we've seen real, real issues and societal scarring in terms but of the, homelessness. Um,
2: the commencement figures are down. That's a real risk for next year, isn't it? And the Thonish Thadley of Radcliffe has admitted that. So, you know, there is danger ahead.
1: Yeah, I think there are warning signs ahead in relation to next year. And that's, again, back to the point why all of us in government, all three parties, are determined to absolutely double down and doing everything we can to get supply going. It's why my colleague, the Minister for Housing, is bringing forward what we call Project T- Tussig, where we're actually willing to partner with private developments now to try and get them going if there is pro- planning applications in place. And again, it's why this week I got the go ahead from government for the first time ever for the country to actually spend taxpayers' money on getting student accommodation built. Because we had this weird and unacceptable situation where you had universities with planning permission to build hundreds upon hundreds of student accommodation beds but those planning permissions weren't viable so public lands with planning permissions in a housing crisis sitting idle so what you're going to see from government and I'm very I'm absolutely certain of this is anything that can be done to stimulate supply to keep things going and to make sure we reach the targets will be kept under constant review in the days weeks and months ahead.
2: But it is about bridging the viability. Then you mentioned that student accommodation. Yep. So y- your department, you got, uh, you got, you brought this to cabinet. This idea that you're going to bridge that gap for developers and make it viable.
1: Yeah. So there is a viability gap. You see this in the private sector. Daryl O'Brien's working at that, but you also see it in my own sector, where universities are saying to to me, "Look, yes, we have land. In some cases, we have planning permission, but we just we just can't make the numbers work here without your help." Now, up until now the state has never invested in building student accommodation. It's kind of been left to the universities or the private market. This week, we've given the go ahead for 700 units to be built. But actually, that's, in my view, not the significant news. I think the fact that we've ripped up the orthodoxy that has defined student accommodation and said, no, hang on, we're getting more hands-on here. We're getting more interventionist here uh, because we have to. Uh, One, because actually... You need student accommodation for students to be able to fully enjoy the college experience. But secondly, every single part of society, every single sector has to say, What can I do to help increase supply? And I genuinely think in the third level sector, there's a lot we can do. We also gave a million euro this week to the technological universities. So they tend to be in the regions at Sligo, Castlebar, Tralee, Waterford, Carlow, the Midlands. And we basically said to them, Look, use that million euro to bring in your experts to do your student accommodation plan. So let's build student accommodation for the first time ever in Castlebar. Let's get that going in 2023. So the number this week is good, 700 units that wouldn't have been built otherwise. But actually, I think much more important is the policy now. We've, we've we've crossed a Rubicon in terms of accepting that the state needs to roll up its sleeves here and get involved.
2: And can I bring in our political correspondent, Michal Lahan, and just go back to the switch over this endless speculation. Do you see instability between the coalition parties, uh, given that the handover is coming up?
0: No, I think it, it's going to be smooth enough. And there is that sense that it's going to be boxed off, if not publicised well in advance of the 17th. Um, the popular narrative is that it's going to be very conservative and there's little room for manoeuvre, particularly at cabinet level. Uh, I suppose there's very little to, to suggest otherwise. But then again, reshuffles always do have a surprise in them, which must alarm ministers who are <laughs> looking on. I suppose it would, though. There is kind of a feeling from the Fine Gael perspective that it would be a particularly courageous act uh, if Leo Varadkar was to, was to take out one of the, the senior figures in his cabinet, given the level of experience there.
2: What would you say to that minister?
0: Well, Leo
1: is a very courageous
0: leader, <laughs> so I'm not
1: gonna, I'm not, I'm not gonna second, I'm not gonna second guess him. I mean, but it's that
2: longevity thing again, and the feeling, you know, the freshening yeah. up the faces. Look, I, I think what we definitely,
1: I suppose, what do we know about the reshuffle? And I think this is this is fair comment. So, I mean, what we definitely know is the Taoiseach and the Thoughtster are going to have to swap roles, and we know that the Taoiseach, Mihal Martin has an absolute right to pick the role, the portfolio that he wants to hold in government. I've no clue what that is. I don't know if anyone other than the Taoiseach does. education
2: was speculated, maybe higher education you say to that? Yeah, again,
1: I genuinely don't know, but what I what I absolutely know is that, that it is his prerogative to pick his role in the government for the second half. And I suppose from that there will be a, a ripple effect or a domino effect, uh, depending on, on how significant
0: the department he picks is. Is moving as well, isn't it? We know that.
1: We, I presume that will rotate yeah. too. Um,
2: and there's some junior ministries, I think, in finance, are they rotating? There's something there?
1: Uh, again, gen- generally when this government was put together, it was put together on the basis of parity. Uh, and a kind of an equality and respect across all the parties. So generally speaking, where there has been a senior minister in one party, there has been a junior minister uh, from another. Um, We have a lot of talent in in the Finnaquale party. We've a a really good bench of people who'd who'd like to be ministers, who'd like to be ministers of state. And it's about basically putting the best team on the pitch to get things moving over the next uh, couple of years in key areas of delivery. And, and these are the these are the judgment calls uh, that leaders will have to make in the three parties. Because you would have
0: backbenched colleagues and you would have senators who would say, oh no, well, the ministers have been told. They've been told by Leo that they're okay. Is there anything to that?
1: I don't believe so, no. Um, no
0: uh, nod, no signal.
1: No, I don't think so. And I mean, I, I think in... Because uh, I, ge- I genuinely think this government is... Uh, there are three parties, right? So, I mean, the... The genuine first move in any reshuffle is where the Taoiseach will wish to serve and and I don't wish to Mm -hmm. speculate on that or add to that speculation so that that is just a statement of fact and I suppose that will potentially cause a ripple effect in terms of portfolios and the likes but um you know there's what is there two and a bit weeks to go um
2: It'll be filled with speculation. Aiden Ryan did,
1: did, did say on the <laughs> week of politics that there'll be there'll be meetings of the leaders, um, you know, towards the end of this week. I presume there'll be a number of meetings, and uh, all of will come clear on the seventeenth of December. So I do imagine, but by the seventeenth of December, Christmas shopping and preparing for Christmas will also be on the minds of uh, lots of your uh, lots of your listeners. <laughs> so those of us in the bubble uh, will be very exercised by this. But I think many people, uh, you know, many people will want to just. For many people, it's it's and, and indeed for us, it's not about the personalities, it's about delivery and being able to hit the ground running in twenty.
0: And why Can I just ask, why do Finnegale seem more keen on the idea of an electoral pact going into the next election compared to others? I think, I think
1: when, and I've looked back very carefully at what my leader, the Thonish, has said in relation to this, and I think it was a statement of the blinding obvious. Um, so firstly, and he has also said, we're way too far out from an election to be talking about electoral pacts. But I don't think it's a particularly radical or newsy thing to say that if you think the government is doing a good job, and if you wish to re-elect the government, that you would vote for government parties. And that, you know, in my constituency of Wicklow, uh, I'd like people to vote for me. And then after that, I'd, I'd like them to consider if they think the government's doing a good job re-electing other members representing government parties in my constituency.
0: Say it, say the name, say the name. So, sorry, well I'll, well, I'll have my own running mates i yeah. have to transfer to them
1: first. I don't know who they're going to be yet. And then I'm Stephen <laughs> Donnelly and Stephen Matthews uh, in, in and, the, uh, and the and the Greens. But, like, I do think the next election is going to be a genuine battle between two blocs and two ideologies and two ways of running the country. I, I mean, I think you're going to have, in my view, I'm sure they wouldn't describe themselves as this, but it is my view, you're going to have the a populist bloc led by Sinn Féin and you're going to have what I consider to be centrist uh, political parties, of which Fine Gael uh, wishes to be a leading part. And, you know, it's going to be probably the most significant election certainly in my lifetime and I think in most people's lifetimes, because there's going to be very genuine, significant policy differences and views as to how the country should be run. And that's on one level exciting on another level uh, a big onus and a responsibility on those <laughs> of us in Fine Gael to keep explaining um, why we do certain things, why we don't do, do but other why
2: things. why is it that Fine Gael seems to be sort of fixated uh, on constantly painting the electoral contest as between itself and Sinn Fein on the other side, and it kind of squeezes out the other parties. Why is that fixation there? And if you look back at, say, the Dublin Bay South by election, you were the director yep. of elections, it was attempted there and it didn't work at all.
1: I think that's true. And I think people in Dublin Bay South said, actually, they said, no, it's not. a. Qu- you know, there is, there, is a, there is a third way. And they, they, they in their wisdom, elected Ivana Bacic. And that's, that's the judgment that Dublin-based South voters made. But it is a statement of fact that in Dáil Erin today, to the best of my knowledge, there's only one party that has said categorically we will not form a government with Sinn Féin. Um, and that's Fine Gael. OK, so yeah, uh, it's I mean, a so, point of difference. Yeah, then. Well, it is a very significant mm-hmm. point of difference. Leo describes it as oil and water don't mix. Uh, I think that's a, that's a good way of describing it. There are real, genuine, meaningful policy differences and in a democracy that's a really healthy thing so it's not about bashing one party for the for the sake of it it's actually about saying we have a very different view to them on lots of issues they have a very different view to us on lots of issues and let the electorate decide there are other parties who have a more open have a more open mind on who they'd form a coalition with but Fine Gael has a very clear view that we'll never form a coalition or go into uh, government with Sinn Féin.
2: Can I bring you to the Children's Hospital It's back in the news this week? And uh, of course, uh, as a health minister, you had a particular political problem back in 2019 with the cost overruns at the time. We're now looking at maybe a bill of over €2 billion. Do you think it's going to go that high? And why has it been so hard to contain it?
1: I think we need to be very, and it's, it's right and proper, the media obviously continued to, to rightly ask questions about the cost of the hospital. There's no doubt about that, but I do think it's right and proper that we are cautious in relation to the difference between claims made by a developer and amounts paid by the taxpayer for the building of the hospital. And I thought the Taoiseach put this very well uh, yesterday. You know, we shouldn't fall into the trap of deciding that because a developer puts in a claim for X or Y, that that means that that claim is a legitimate or valid claim. And I certainly know during my tenure as, as health minister, that the new structures that were put in place to deliver the project, that there were many, many claims being put in that were being successfully defended uh, by those representing the state. So it is it is truthful that we don't know um, how many of those claims will be deemed to be valid or invalid. Uh, But I'd be highly optimistic um, that many won't actually need to be paid by the state. It is always a source of regret to me that it's very hard to actually get a discussion going about the Children's Hospital, the actual project. I genuinely believe that when this project is open, it it will be transformational. I mean, there are parents tonight who will sleep on floors in children's hospitals besides sick children who are effectively living in the hospital. Um, as you know, with very sick children, they can spend so much time in the hospital. This hospital is going to be nobody disputes absolute, it is nobody, going to be
2: world class, and there's going to be those single rooms. It's really important, no, but the cost yeah. is going to be a massive political problem when it emerges and it's going to land me Hall on the desk of the new Taoiseach, Leo radker It looks like this is going to be something he's going to have to answer to do.
0: Yeah, I do feel within government that there is a the calculation that once it is built and once it's up and running uh, that the cost whatever the difficulties along the way at that point will be justified and politically will, will work in that sense uh, but I suppose between now and then it's planned that to have the construction finished in the spring of 2024 there probably will be more difficulties on that front I'd say before but it'll
2: be open before the next election, I suppose, which is uh, helpful in uh, so yeah. going back to the electorate. Yeah, I mean, people, people,
1: people say nobody nobody disputes the benefits of the project, but nobody bothered building the hospital for a very long time. I mean, this was a political football; it was kicked around. There was debates and discussions about which constituency. I think Bertie Ahern was Taoiseach when this was going to the matter. Yes. I mean, at the end of the day, in politics, if you just sit in your office and don't take a decision, you probably won't get into trouble. But you also won't actually change anything. Um, and we've seen with very many major projects, and this is not to say there's not lessons from the children's hospital, of course there is. But if you look at things like whether it's Terminal Two, whether it's the Dublin Port Tunnel, you know, there's always legitimate debate and discussion over infrastructural projects. But I actually think when people see the benefit, the transformational benefit that this hospital will make to children's healthcare in Ireland, um, difficult to know as the process of being, I think so many, so so many countless children will benefit now and for the next hundred years from a world class hospital.
2: And you're in Cavan tomorrow with the minister, Heather Humphreys. Do you agree with Alan Dukes, uh, the former Fine Gael minister? He's been in the firing line today over his comments in that Sean Quinn documentary where he said that people in border counties turn to violence more easily.
1: No, I don't. Um, and I think I think Alan Dukes has come out and, and kind of said that they were kind of I don't think these are exact, his exact words, but I think he's come out and kind of said it wasn't well put or, or or was clumsily put. And I think that's that's absolutely true. Um, so, no, I, I certainly don't.
2: And just lastly, uh, we're in the run-up to Christmas. Uh, some of your Fine Gael colleagues seem to be on a crusade to save the live crib. Yes. I don't know if you followed that, but they uh, they succeeded uh, Patrick O'Donovan, the junior minister, James Gagan, the councillor, who you would know in Dublin Bay South. They've got it moved now to St Stephen's Green. Yeah, I,
1: know, I had to follow it very closely because the animals come from Wicklow. <laughs> OK. So uh, a Wicklow angle. I have to declare a vested interest <laughs> in relation to this. But no, look, I, I, I commend my colleague... Um, Patrick I for the work that's been done around the OPW I actually think that's going to be good I think the location Stevens Green um, will, will, will be really good I think lots of, it'll bring lots of people into the park um, I do think the live crib is, is a tradition that lots of people uh, do, do, do value and I'm, I'm glad a solution was found
2: Okay great well thank you very much to my guest today the uh, Minister for Further and Higher Education Simon Harris and Ortiz political correspondent Mihal Lahan. thank you for listening this week